The Mass in Slow Motion by Father Ronald Knox Sermon 1 At the Foot of the Altar I will go up to the altar of God, the giver of youth and happiness. Sometime last spring, I think it was, I gave you a sermon about what it felt like saying Mass. I shall now go on to expand that into about twelve different ones, taking the various parts of the Mass as they come. Not merely the words, the Mass's actions, as well as words. In fact, the whole time it is suiting the actions to the words. Monsignor Robert Hugh Benson, years ago, wrote rather an interesting thing. You will find it in his Papers of a Parish, in which he suggested that the Mass is really a kind of religious dance, a symbolic dance. Of course, that sounds nonsense to you, because what you mean by dance is the wireless in the hall playing revolting stuff and you lounging round in pairs and feeling all gooey. But dancing, when it first started, meant something, and nearly always something religious. So Hugh Benson's idea was that the Christian faith has a religious dance of its own, all the twisting and turning and bobbing and bowing and lifting and parting and rejoining his hands, which the priest goes through in the course of the Mass, really add up to a kind of dance, meant to express a religious eye to you, the spectators. Of course, as I'm always telling you, if you find it difficult or if you find it dull trying to follow the Mass, you are much better employed in simply kneeling there and saying your prayers, with a book or without a book, while the Mass is going. The Church doesn't oblige you to follow Mass. She only obliges you, now and again, to be there. But if you are going to try to follow the Mass... It's a good thing to try and understand what the words are about, not just to get accustomed to them as a kind of pious rigmarole. And it's a good thing to see the gestures which the priest makes as the proper accompaniment of those words, illustrating and expressing them, instead of vaguely imagining that he's waving his arms about for no particular reason. Well, this afternoon, we'll take just the part which the priest says at the foot of the altar, which is quite enough for one go. I don't know if you have ever wondered why the remark which the priest makes at the very start is, I will go unto the altar of God, when he's already there. The explanation of that is that originally the Mass began with the entruit. That's what the priest says a few moments later, at the epistle side of the altar. And ended with the ite misa est. The rest is really trimmings. This psalm, and the confidior, the priest used to originally say in the sacristy, it's only since Pius V's time that it has really been part of the Mass. If we were living in the time of King Henry VIII, I should be saying the psalm and the confidior while you were looking for your berets. But don't for that reason think that this first part of the Mass it doesn't matter, and it's a good opportunity for having a look around to see that the sisters are all there. It's part of the Mass now, and all the Mass belongs to you, and you to it, if you are really going to follow it. The action of the Mass is polarized is focused in the priest, that's all. Those are rather long words. Let me explain a bit. If you have a burning glass and are concentrating its rays on a single point, a bit of touchwood, to make the touchwood light, or the back of another girl's hand to make her jump, the light comes to a point, and that red-hot point is the priest. But all the part in between the burning glass and that red-hot point is comfortably warm, that is you, the congregation. You are meant to be basking in that heat which ought to be making the priest, the focus point of it all, melt away with love. So start straight away with the priest. Square your shoulders with him and cross yourself, thinking to yourself, 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Here we are. Let's get on with it. What is this psalm the priest says? Unfortunately, we don't know much for certain about the psalms and the occasions on which they were first written. Some people think this one was written by King David when he fled from Absalom. I don't know if you all know that story, but Absalom was a son of King David's who revolted against him and got made king instead. And then there was a battle in which David's men got the better of the revolutionaries. But whether he really wrote this psalm, I don't know. It talks about the God who gives me the gladness of youth. King David at the time of Absalom's revolt was getting on for 60, and you don't feel much joy of youth when you're getting on for 60. So some people think that the author of the psalm, or at any rate the imaginary hero of the psalm, was a young priest or a young Levite exiled from his native country, we don't know when or why, who was simply longing to get his sentence of exile reversed and get back to the temple and the altar of God where he had been so happy. Now let us just go through the psalm. I'll give it to you, if you don't mind, in my own translation. O God, sustain my cause. Give me redress against a race that knows no piety. Save me from a treacherous foe and cruel. Thou, O God, art all my strength. Why hast thou cast me off? Why do I go mourning with the enemies pressing me hard? The light of thy favor, the fulfillment of thy promise. Let these be my escort, bringing me safe to thy holy mountain, to the tabernacle where thou dwellest. There I will go up to the altar of God, the giver of youth and happiness. Thou art my God. With the harp I will hymn thee praise. Soul, why art thou downcast? Why art thou all lament? Wait for God's help. I will not cease to cry out in thankfulness, my champion and my God. I use that word champion rather spoiled by the way in which we use it nowadays to express what I think the psalm means when it says, the savior of my face. The man who saves your face, the man who makes it possible for you to appear in public without looking a fool. I think our hero is laboring somehow under unjust suspicion cast upon him by his enemies, and so he wants God to sustain his cause, establish his innocence, to save his face, to make it possible for him to reappear at Jerusalem and in the temple, without a stain on his character. And that is partly why it is such a good psalm to begin the Mass with, because inevitably the priest feels rather a fool having to stand up there and look good when he is really a sinful man like his fellow men, and he wants a champion to come and keep him in countenance, keep him in face, as we say. I wonder whether all that comes home to you. It depends on whether you are shy. Some of you are, some aren't. If you are at all shy... You can imagine how appalling it would be if your mama told you quite suddenly one morning that you were going to be presented at court. If she went on to say that unfortunately there was no time to get any special clothes and you would have to just go as you were, that would put the lid on your misery, wouldn't it? And that is how a priest feels, or ought to feel, when he goes to the altar. He is presenting himself at the court of heaven, before the throne of the king of kings, among crowds and crowds of angels and saints and he is all just anyhow quite unfit for such company. He can't face the prospect at all unless our blessed Lord will be kind enough to take him by the hand and lead him in and say, This is a friend of mine. That is why he says the psalm, Utica Medeus. And you ought to keep step with the priest in his first movement, as it were of the religious dance. The priest is standing there with his arms in front of him, staring up at the crucifix over the altar, an attitude of appeal. And that ought to be the attitude of your mind to start with. 
you oughtn't ever go to Mass, and still more obviously you oughtn't ever go to Communion, without this sense of shyness, this sense of butting in somewhere where you aren't wanted. We're terribly in danger all the time of taking God's goodness too much for granted, of bouncing up to Communion as if it were the most natural thing in the world, instead of being a supernatural thing belonging to another world. So first we must be shy about it. Then we must observe that priest's attitude, though it is one of appeal, is also one of confident appeal. Soul, why art thou downcast, he says, why art thou all lament? And the server chimes in, wait for God's help. It's all right, really, he will see us through, he is our champion, will stand at our side and make everything all right for us. So it is that the priest, at the end of the psalm, says, I will go up to the altar of God after all crosses himself to give him extra courage, and reminds himself, Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Yes, it's all right. He will see us through. But meanwhile, you look up and find that there has been a sudden change in the movement of the dance. The priest, who is standing so erect, is all doubled up now. It's the confitior, catching sight of himself out of the corner of his eye, standing up there and telling himself he is sure our Lord will make it all right. He gets a kind of sudden scruple, his sins. Even sins committed since his last said Mass, right in the foreground of memory. The man who lost his temper so idiotically only yesterday. The man who only yesterday said that unkind thing, calculated to hurt and meant to hurt the person he was talking to. What right has he to expect any divine favors? To ask that he may have God's light and God's truth for his escort, to lead him up to the altar. So he grovels, accuses himself of his sins in the sight of heaven. And not only in the sight of heaven, in the sight of earth, too. Every sin you or I commit is letting down the whole Christian community, isn't it? Just as you apologize to your partner when you've made a perfectly rotten stroke of tennis, so when you have sinned, you want to apologize to your fellow Christians. You have let them all down. And then there is that splendid bit of spiritual byplay, the priest asking the server to pray for him, and the servers turning around to explain why they are just as bad. It's all a sort of open confession, all round. When there are priests in choir, you know, they are supposed to mumble all this part of the Mass to one another, while the priest is getting through it at the altar. We are all making a clean breast of it, putting our cards on the table. That means if you are trying to follow the Mass, you mustn't regard the confidior as a private affair of the priest, and imagine it would be more tactful of you to pretend not to notice. You mustn't listen to the server's mumble apologies in a spirit of attachment. No, it is your sins that he is confessing, quite as much as his own or rather perhaps not so much your sins as your sinfulness. It isn't so much this, that the spiteful or greedy or careless action we ought to be remembering at this point in the Mass, rather the general low level of spirituality in which is as always making us do spiteful or greedy or careless things. We're a rotten crowd, all of us. That's the point. And when the priest beats his breast three times, or when the server does it, you ought to be echoing the sentiment. We are doing a grovel all round. And now the priest strikes a fresh attitude, a fresh figure in the dance. He is no longer bent double, but he is bowing slightly, as he says the remaining four versicles before going up to the altar. He is tantalizing himself, as it were, by not looking up to the cross, not looking up to the altar, just yet. That is a treat he is saving up for himself. Yes, my God, you will put life into us, dead things as we are. And we, this whole plebs, this whole vulgar crowd of people, will boast of your protection. You will show us your mercy, your power to aid. You will listen to our prayers. The silly noise we are making will reach you right up to the courts of heaven. 
And then, just to make sure that he's carrying the congregation with him, he says, The Lord be with you. And the server answers, And you likewise. That is all with your spirit means, after all. Priests and people are going about this great business of theirs shoulder to shoulder. Then at last the priest lifts his eyes and makes that sort of scooping gesture with his hands as if to gather up any stray strands of grace that may be floating down to him. And he says, let us pray. Good idea. Let's.